Well, he's told his job is not over. It's not finished. And he has to do something about it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is, of course, Bible Discovery TV as we discover the Bible. Uh, it is an exciting time to look at what God has said to us, especially today. In about three minutes time, Joshua 13, and we're going to explore what God tells him in this time. This is a very interesting day to study the Bible with us. Also, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? I'm going to be focusing in on a little discussed but important city at the time period of Joshua and the Judges. Ryan? Today I'm continuing my study on Joshua's long day. You know, a lot of naturalistic theories have been proposed, but the question is, can any of them fully explain what happened? Yeah, with a really good question. We don't know what happened, but it's fascinating. Okay, Janice? Today my segment is called, I May Never. All right, take out your Bible guide and take out the Bible and let us explore and figure out what God has said to us today. Joshua 13, 1 through 14. Now Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains. All the territory of the Philistines, and all that of the Gersherites, from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite. The five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites, also the Avites. From the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Mira that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek, to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon, toward the sunrise, from Baal Gad, below Mount Hermon, as far as the entrance to Hamath. All the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon, as far as the brook Mizraphoth, and all the Sidonians. Them I will drive out from before the children of Israel. Only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. With the other half-tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses the servant of the Lord had given them. From Arower, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Mediba as far as Dibon. All the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon. Gilead, and the border of the Geshurites and Maacathites, all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan as far as Salak. All the kingdom of Og in Bashan, who reigned in Ashtoroth and Adridei, who remained of the remnant of the giants, for Moses had defeated and cast out these. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites, but the Geshurites and the Maacathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Only to the tribe of Levi he had given no inheritance. 
The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel, made by fire, are their inheritance, as he said to them. Joshua chapter 13, verses 1 through 14. Joshua is an amazing book, and uh, after Moses has gone to be with the Lord, Joshua is in control. Now, today we come into Joshua chapter 13. That is something stunning as we begin to read it. And as we do so, let's focus our attention on a couple of things. Joshua's old age. Now, God reminded him that there was still much work to do. There was a lot of land that had not yet been conquered by Israel. So we now see Joshua move into the encouraging stage and the spurring on of the tribes of Israel. Life is so full of work and distractions that they think it's easy to just fall behind in the work of the kingdom of God. Now we need to stay diligent. And there are people who need to hear the message of Christ and what he has done in our lives. People's great need for God should spur us on to be vocal and to live our lives openly, presenting Jesus Christ as the way. Now this way and others can be convinced and make a decision about Christ themselves. Let's not forget our God-given mission of making disciples. That's something that God's called us to do. While we're still alive, we know that God's work has not finished for us. Now, this is what we see God doing and reminding Israel of in the ancient time. Though their mission was different than ours, they needed to finish what they started. Finish what they started. Now, I think that's very important to remember. And as we focus on this, we're going to pay attention to this because I need to finish what God has started in me. You need to finish what God has started in you. So take your Bible guide and turn to Joshua chapter 13. This is an amazing passage of scripture. If you don't have a Bible guide, we'll send you one. Write to us or call us and we'll be happy to send you one as well. Remember that the a website, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. You can go there and click on the page of the Bible Guide. It'll take you to a donate place. And thank you for your donations. That helps us pay for the Bible Guide and all of that and takes care of the cost to send it to you and everything else. But you can get a copy online just as we printed it and you can make it a part of your daily reading. This is the Word of God and the Bible that we pray. Lord, help us today as we look at chapter 13, verses 1 through 14. Help us to hear what you're saying today and to get on with your work. In the name of Jesus Christ, we said together, amen and amen. Now, Joshua begins by telling us a couple of things. It says, now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord, that is L-O-R-D capital, said to him, you are old and advanced in years, and there remains much land yet to be possessed. Now, this is the land that yet remains. All the territory of the Philistines and all that the Gershonites from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward, which is counted as the Canaanite, and the five lords of Philistines, that is Gaza, and the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, and the Ekronites, also the Avites from the south, 
all the land of the Canaanites and Merah that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek and the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebalites and all of Lebanon towards the sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamath. The inhabitants of the mountains of Lebanon as far as Brook Mizrephoth and all of the Sidonians. Them I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half tribes of Manasseh. This is important. God gave Joshua instructions on how to divide up the remaining land. It is important for us to know and to act on the instructions God gives us. That's important. Absolutely critical. God's given us instructions. Do we know it? Have we read the Bible? Do we read the Bible? We should. These are the instructions of God. We should read it in context. We should read it understanding as the Holy Spirit drives us to hear the word of God. Some people read it the wrong way, but when we read it and understand with the Holy Spirit in our hearts as we read it, it becomes sensible to us and we make sense. And then it, it, it completely makes sense when we read in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't fight wars in the physical, but we pray. And ask God to teach us in the spiritual. Very, very important. Now, the physical will come and it's coming later. But right now we have to focus on the work of God. So the scripture goes on to say this, and it's really, really important. It says, with the other half tribe, that is the Reubenites and the Gadites, received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses the servant of the Lord had given them, from Aor which is on the bank of the river of Arnon and the town that is in the midst of the ravine and the plain of Mediba, as far as Dibion, all the cities of Shihon, the king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon, Gilead, the border of the Geshurites and the Maccathites and the Mount Hermon and Bashan, as far as Salkak, all of the kingdoms of Og and Bashan who reign in Ashtoreth and Edri, who remain in the remnant of the giants, for Moses had defeated and cast these out. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maccathites, but the Geshurites and the Maccathites dwell among the Israelites until today. Which brings me to this point. God told Joshua that the job was not finished. We should always look at how we are living to serve the Lord now. Are we doing what he has said? Now that's important to remember. Let's think about this because as we read the last verse of this particular passage, it becomes very important for us to pay attention. Listen to this. Only the tribe of the Levites. Only the tribe of Levi. He had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance as he said to them. 
This is important. The tribe of Levi was given no inheritance of the land. And I need you to hear this. Look at this. Very important. As Christians or Christ followers, we know that our inheritance is not an earthly one, but a heavenly one with God. Our inheritance does not come here. We cannot fulfill our joys and our desires here. God can help us live a wonderful life, and that's great. But the best life we have for us is in heaven. We understand that, and we live to build God's kingdom today. So we must come to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to focus my attention on your kingdom. You know, as we've read through Joshua, and as now we're going to begin to go into the time period of the judges, there is a key city uh, in the promised land that, that, you know, the Israelites are now just moving into that is often under-highlighted when it comes to Bible study. Uh, and I think that's because that uh, because different names are used to refer to the area around the city. And that city that I'm talking about is Shechem. Now, when we go really uh, you know, far back into its history, its biblical history to here at the time period of Joshua, there's some really interesting things that are time-specific that we can learn about Shechem. Take a look. Before the united monarchy of ancient Israel, the Canaanite city of Shechem exerted control over quite a large area of land for many years. Shechem was located in the central hill country of Canaan, around 30 miles north of Jerusalem. By the time of the biblical conquest and judges, the Amarna letters, which are letters between Egyptian pharaohs and the allied kings from cities in Canaan, describe Shechem's power as being from north of Jerusalem to Megiddo. The Bible seems to agree circumstantially with this evaluation, but the Israelites are seen moving freely in this territory, and all of their military conquests are outside of this central area. In Joshua 8, after marching into central Canaan and defeating the cities of Jericho and Ai, the Israelites, along with their women and children, marched to Shechem for their covenant ceremony on Mount Abal and Gerizim. This march is without warfare, even though they're marching through territory firmly controlled by Shechem. Furthermore, Moses had earlier prescribed this journey, so what was the relationship with Shechem that allowed this? After the covenant ceremony, the Israelites are recorded as launching military campaigns in the south and in the north, but nothing in the territory of Shechem. It's also known from the Bible that one of the forefathers of the nation, Jacob, purchased some land at Shechem. This land then was willed to Joseph and then to his son Manasseh. So perhaps this land ownership had something to do with the cordial relationship that seems to have existed. Nevertheless, Joshua holds his final covenant renewal again at the city of Shechem, which was made into a Levitical city of refuge without any mention of military action. And the Israelites then bury the bones of Joseph there and set up a standing stone next to a place of worship. 
The Amarna letters, though controversial in how exactly they relate to the scriptures, do mention repeatedly that the king and princes of Shechem were working with the Habiru, giving them land and funding their expeditions. Habiru means fugitive or refugee and was given to many displaced people groups, but in this context seems to fit the Israelites very well. Whatever the political relationship was between Israel and Shechem, it's safe to say that there was one. Now, this city is going to become the location of an interesting narrative in the time period of the judges once we get into that book. So we'll probably revisit Shechem, but specifically look at some of the ancient installations that have been found within the city. Very interesting, actually. Uh, And uh, when we look at the history and all of that in the past, it gets really fascinating when we study the book of Joshua and some of these other books that we're seeing where all that takes place. Thank you, Corey. Very good. Okay, Ryan, you're up. All right. Well, my segment today is a continuation of yesterday's segment in which we talked about Joshua's long day, which, of course, is recorded in Joshua chapter 10. And based on the scripture, we concluded that what occurred was not a natural event, but rather a supernatural one, uh, perhaps a halting of the Earth's rotation. We explored what sort of physical issues had to be overcome for that to happen. But of course, for a God who can create the entire heavens and earth or cause a virgin to conceive or raise the dead after three days, such a miracle is really nothing. Nevertheless, many have been unwilling to accept this account straightforwardly, and so they've proposed alternative naturalistic explanations. So today, you and I are going to go through some of those explanations and see why they don't work. Although Joshua 10, 12-14 clearly reveals a very special and supernatural astronomical event, perhaps by the halting of Earth's rotation, for many this is too problematic. Hence various naturalistic explanations have been proposed. For example, some theorize that a total solar eclipse occurred which helped to cool and refresh the Israeli troops. However, for a total solar eclipse to occur, the sun and moon must be at the same place in the sky but the Bible clearly records that the sun and moon were at different locations. Furthermore, the Bible describes this unusual astronomical event as lasting about a whole day, but a total solar eclipse can last only a few minutes at most. Another similar idea is that a great cloud cover arose or some other darkening came up to give relief from the sun's heat. Not only is this idea not supported by the biblical text, but as also would be true for the solar eclipse theory, this would have benefited both sides of the battle but the Bible clearly indicates that only God's chosen people had the advantage. A third theory proposed is that some sort of strange refraction effect occurred, so that the sun continued to illuminate the battlefield even though the sun had set. But in essence, this is really just exchanging one miracle for another, since such a refraction is not how the world normally operates. Those who seek a non-physical explanation claim that there was no miracle at all, but it just seemed as if one occurred. In other words, with God's help, the Israelites fought so well that it just seemed as if the day was extended. An even more liberal interpretation is that there was no miracle, nor was there even anything at all unusual about the battle that day. In fact, the entire passage is chalked up to poetic hyperbole. Proponents of this view compare Joshua 10, 12-14 to the Song of Deborah and Barak in Judges 5:20, where stars are described as fighting against Sisera. The main problem with this, however, is that while Judges 5 is clearly identified as poetry, Joshua 10 is not. Certainly it has a poetic element, but to claim that the entire passage is merely poetic hyperbole willfully ignores the rest of verses 13 and 14. 
Indeed, the second half of verse 13 rhetorically asks if this extraordinary day is not written in the book of Jasher. Furthermore, the second part of verse 13 goes on to use very literal, non-metaphorical language to state that the sun stopped in the middle of heaven and delayed setting for about a whole day. Additionally, the statement of verse 14 that there has been no day before or since like that one makes sense only if there was something truly remarkable about that day. As believers, we should bear in mind that God says what he means and means what he says. And if you cannot understand how this could have been done, remarked Martin Luther, then grant the Holy Spirit the honor of being more learned than you are. For you are to deal with scripture in such a way that you bear in mind that God himself says what is written. But since God is speaking, it is not fitting for you wantingly to turn his word in the direction you wish it to go. You know, as a final note, the same scholarship that claims the biblical account of Joshua's long day was merely poetic hyperbole also claims the same about the creation account in Genesis. See, like Joshua 10, Genesis also has some poetic elements. For example, in Genesis 2, 23, Adam waxes poetic when he sees Eve for the first time. He says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. But just as with Joshua, to claim that the creation account is nothing more than poetic hyperbole is to willfully ignore the rest of that account, which is clearly historical narrative. And if you think it's silly to accept Genesis as actual literal history, then I do recommend reading the opinions of other biblical people like Peter, Paul, and Jesus. Make no mistake, both Genesis and Joshua are very important history. And it's a, it's a really good question. And when you, when you talk about it, God speaking and God talking, uh, you ask yourself the question, does God use hyperbole? Because whatever he says is true too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting because hyperbole is overstating something. Yeah. God doesn't overstate because he can accomplish everything he said. So it's a very interesting argument and a very interesting, I believe, a, a a good way to look at it because God is doing what he what he said and says what he's doing. Very good, Brian. Thank you. Janice. So today my segment was called I May Never. Do you remember this Sunday school song? I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly or the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Do you remember that song? That's a song that we used to sing when we were little, saying that we may never do those things, but we're in the Lord's army. Well, I'm going to come at it from a different angle today. Looking at Joshua chapter 13, we begin and it says, now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years. Pause now. I wonder if at this point in the Lord's sentence, did Joshua think, ah, he's, he knows that I'm old and advanced in years. So he's going to say, you don't have to worry about it. We'll pass it on to somebody else. I wonder. Well, we'll never know, but that's not what the Lord said to him. And the Lord said to him, you are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Joshua's uh, uh, assignment from God was not over yet. And, and he, and as we read through the chapter, you see the different allotments of land and Joshua began to do what the, the Lord had commanded him. And so I just wanted to say today, whether we're young or whether we're old, God has given us assignments to do. He has designed us 
for a purpose. And I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery, but I'm in the Lord's army. When we give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what age, God has assignments for us. And with those assignments, with that purpose that God has given us, he also gives us the tools and the abilities in order to accomplish them. And while it might look different while we're young, it might look different while we're in our teenage years. And I want to say a special hello to those in their teenage years. You're going to high school. You're getting ready to go to university or college. I want to commend you for keeping your lives focused in God's word and following God because life isn't easy, is it? And there's a lot of choices that you're going to be making every day and in the future. And God can give you those directions and you can follow him assuredly. But as our life changes and grows, so is our, our calling, the things that we can do. I can't work the same way that I could work 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. I get tired more easily. And, and if we're a senior, our lives have changed yet again. Some of us may be at home all the time or in a, in a, in a care home, but your light can shine just as bright as it did years ago, perhaps just in a different place where God has placed you. I know my dad is a real warrior in prayer. I tell you what, if there's a, a prayer need, my dad is praying and he has that time in his day to be able to lift people in prayer and it makes a difference. So no matter if you're young, if you're middle-aged, if you're a senior and a senior senior, Keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't be discouraged. Let your light shine brightly wherever God has you right now because he has an assignment and we're on assignment until God takes us home. And Yeah, that's very good. And, and I think that, that we have to remember we have grown as a television program mm -hmm. and, and I hope you have too, but that is exciting. Yes, it what is. What you've said is absolutely stunning. I love it. We all have things to do and they're all different but they're all very, very important. That's right. We're not sitting around saying, oh, what are we going to do? It's time to get out there and tell them about Jesus Christ. I'm so very excited because as I taped these programs, I read an article and it uh, is an update on Iran, the nation that is causing so much trouble. Did you know that there are 5 million Christians now who have made the decision for Jesus Christ? Father, we pray today for our Iranian brothers and sisters. Help them to know you and help them to have peace in their lives. 
in Jesus' wonderful name. And we all said together, amen.